Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm presenting Talking Design. I'm here with an interior designer, Lucy Marzik. Yes, Is that that's right. correct pronunciation? That's very good. Thank you. And um, she's uh, an associate senior designer with Nexus Design and also uh, has just come back from Milan. So welcome back. Thank you, Stephen. At first, when I met you the other day, I said, oh, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it <laughs> because I kind of wanted to see Milan firsthand. Yes. But maybe just tell me a, uh, a little bit about your thoughts on Milan before we start looking at some of the work that you're doing at the moment. Great, thank you. Um, yeah, Milan is really exciting uh, to go to Milan and this year I actually went on my own. So I, I treated it like design meditation, mm-hmm. I guess that's what I'm calling it. So uh, was able to, to go in, uh, explore, take time out to think. A lot of the time I'm very busy in the studio, so mm-hmm. it's nice to be able to just absorb and enjoy and think and see what other designers mm-hmm. are doing around the world. And What were some of the highlights? I mean, it's it's must be difficult because there's so much thrown at you. There is so much sh- thrown, yeah. But what 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 do you come back with? What if I had to say? What are the few things that you really absorbed? Well, I think the the big change that I can see in design and what I saw this year was with technology. So, technology in the way of um, lighting and how technology is getting integrated into product design, how it's changing the way that we live how we're using it differently. And so I think that interior design, in a certain way, is going through a big state of change as well. But other things that I saw that really fascinated me was uh, uh, Cazzolioni's studio, mm-hmm. which was beautiful, but also an exhibition that Nendo, a Japanese design studio, had done as well. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Nendo's work? I'm not, but okay. I'm familiar with Castiglione's. Yes, um, sorry. House, <laughs> house music. It was like a house museum, yes. isn't it? Yeah, it is. So it's a um, biographical museum, I think it is. And called. his daughter set it up. Yes, yes. So For people who don't know Castiglione's work, it's the tractor seat was iconic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he's done lighting... Everything. I yes. mean, he's quite a, and, well, but it's, it's left the way he left it when he passed away. Yeah, that's right. And so there's sketches everywhere, um, you know, little prototypes about, you know, he really worked with, you know, practicality using the most, the minimal amount of materials possible. And he was a real thinker. And that's what I really loved about seeing his daughter was actually saying to me, you know, don't cry because I was just so emotional seeing mm. this, you know, just seeing how much thought, you know, chairs that had been designed for people with back conditions, uh, back conditions, or you know, even as small as a light switch, you know, the importance of just the feel and the touch of a small light switch, so everyday ob- objects, yeah. and their importance, um, not not designing just for the sake of designing, but doing something that's going to improve. You know, the Allies. way that we live, yeah. Lucy, when you walk around at Milan and you see all these new products, do you think we're kind of over-designing or there's this design for the sake of it or people are just putting chairs out there when really we've got enough chairs? I mean, did you see things that were, that were above just product? Yeah, so I think that that's why I find all the technology really interesting because it's, it's taking new elements and um, doing something different with them and doing something a bit more progressive, I guess, rather than uh, I want to design a chair and why can I design it 
differently, to look different, doesn't necessarily mm. make it better. Um, so I'm, you know, I really like to look at ha- how we can improve things. Was there any one designer that really embraced technology in a way that you found quite extraordinary? Whether it was a chair or a credenza or... Um, uh, A company called Vibia integrated some uh, lighting into uh, automated roller blinds. Mm. It's just such a simple solution, but just with such a... You know, just another way to introduce a a beautiful ambience into a space. I just thought it was clever. It it almost seems obvious, but I haven't seen something like Mm. that before. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also uh, Ingo Maurer, they do a lot of decorative light fittings, but then they use technology in different ways as well. Mm. So it was really... I mean, it was the year of the Uraluchi, but I think lighting was just a a big standout of Mm. uh, progressive design this year. Um, I will go to the Milan Fair one year. Um, you should, you should. I think everyone should. Um, just, I and mean, the just, hype yeah, and the bars. Yeah, that's right. Mm. You can see, um, yeah, it, everything from the the macaron sh- store, you know, converts their, you know, the fashion stores convert their windows as well. Just the whole city has such a buzz about it. And this year I was really lucky. The weather was gorgeous as well. So the city was just, you know, really alive. Lucy, like getting back onto your work or getting to your work, I mean, you often work with, you know, projects with Sonia Simfendorfer, yes. who's the um, creative director of Nexus, and you worked with her on a, a ferry, which was an interesting project. Yes. And probably not something that comes through the office very often, I imagine. No, that's right. So it was a very unique project. It was very challenging. How did that come um, about? Because you don't kind of see that type of thing happen very often. Yes. Uh, so Matt McDonald, who's the CEO of Sea Road Ferries, uh, which is the company that owns the MV Sorrento, uh, he, he did a lot of work internationally and in Europe, uh, particularly in the uh, Scandinavian countries, they embraced design on sea vessels a little bit more than they would uh in Australia, I guess. And so this was his vision, was to bring on not necessarily a naval architect who they'd previously worked with, but an interior design firm. Uh, And so he engaged us for the project, which I was particularly... I I love boating, so I was very excited Mm. about this just from the get-go. It was... Mm. Uh, project that I'd always wanted to do something on the water. So, how do you start with a project like that? Because there's nothing to go back to. You have no reference point in a sense. It's yeah, something yeah. that you have to start from scratch and think about how people will use the space, mm-hmm. and it's moving. So yes. there's all these issues. So how do you start the process? So the uh, the uh, MV Sorrento was an existing vessel so it is 11 years old and so the existing architecture they decided they didn't want to touch um so that was the the first point was uh working with the existing services uh the central trunk uh where all those services were located and um and then it was about dividing the spaces so Always with a project, um, and this is essentially a retail and hospitality project. Mm-hmm. Um, space planning and functionality of how the spaces work is, you know, underpins the, you know, the um, success of the project. So, 
This vessel can have up to 700 people in it at one time. It's huge. Yes. And so, uh, just so you know, it runs from Sorrento to Queenscliff, and it's a 45-minute journey. And the journey can also take uh, passengers as well as vehicles. So there's a challenge. The first challenge is getting 700 people potentially on the boat, all the cars on the boat, in 15 minutes. Then they need to all have a coffee. They'd love to look at... uh, you know, what the retail store has to offer and then also sit down and relax and enjoy so it's a the very bay. it's a very intense experience. Yeah. And you have right. to make sure people have that experience on cue. Yes. But it can't feel intense. That's the that's the critical <laughs> thing about the project. So um one of the things that we did uh, just because of where it's located is we uh previously they served hot chips and sandwiches on the ferry, but what we wanted to do was introduce a local produce, <coughs> pardon me, into the retail store. So uh, really creating a sense of place, Melbourne, um, luxury as well, but then also introducing a bit of Melbourne foodie culture, so setting up a, a coffee store, so that feels very Melbourne as well. Uh, then we decided, um, divided the ferry into three distinct areas. So there was the port and starboard side, and there's also mm-hmm. a VIP lounge. Mm-hmm. So uh, different spaces providing for different people. The, the ferry is used for um, commuters going to work, people travelling on weekends, school groups. Mm-hmm. Did they do functions as well or not? They have started doing functions now as well. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the VIP lounge can be closed off for high teas at seas, um, and they they uh, you know with these changes that they're doing, they'd like to start doing more more functions, evening functions. The, so spaces needed to be very flexible. The other thing, Lucy, that you pointed out um, to me previously was that everything has to be uh, fixed. You know, you have to allow for movement, which must be quite difficult because, you know, if you're doing a kitchen, for instance, you just think, well, you know, joinery, cupboards, whatever. This is, everything has to be tied in. So Mm -hmm. if there's any movement, everything is fixed. Yes. So that must mean, you know, even certain chairs that you select have to be a certain weight that they don't just move around the place. So heavy enough, but also not too light. Um, that was a real challenge. It was really about um, making this vessel um, robust enough to serve its function of 700 passengers at one time, but also calming, enjoyable, um, relaxing, mm. a- and all of you know those kind of you know for people to really enjoy the experience like they are on a a you know to escape and connect to nature and enjoy and feel feel free. That was um, so. That was a huge challenge, um, and then there was yeah the functionality of chair selections. Um, you know, floor finishes. We use vinyls, a lot of laminates. So things you can really just hose down. Yeah, that's right. But then there was also you know custom designed bins uh, for these high turnovers. So so the staff really have ten minutes to clean up the rubbish after. 700 passengers, wow. you know, restock the fridges. And so all, all of those functional requirements were really critical. Um, so, Lucy, 
votes is, you know, that's a one-off in a sense. Yes. So next time you'll be extremely prepared when the next boat comes yes. in. Yes, What are the, I mean, Nexus is known for doing high-end or, yes. you know, more bespoke housing. Yes. What's some of the projects you've worked on recently that you you think there's a good story? Um, you, you're mentioning about a blue house. Yes. Yeah, so that intrigued me. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the True Blue Terrace uh, Project. This is a uh, it's a terrace house in Melbourne, mm. which is. Uh, and why blue? Obviously, there's blue furniture, blue joinery. Is it as simple as the owner said? Look, I just love blue. No, they absolutely didn't say they love blue, but we're glad that they did. So we collaborated with Plasia Perkins uh, Architects mm-hmm. on this project, uh, who worked on the. Uh, extension and also the interior fit out we collaborated with them on that and the front of the original uh, the facade has retained victorian single fronted single fronted and then a very contemporary extension on the on the back of the house Um, and uh, because of where it's situated you enter into the uh, ground floor but then you actually descend down into the living areas or go up a set of stairs to the bedroom and uh, sleeping zones and then there is also some areas where they excavated to have some more basement space underneath the uh, living zone Mm -hmm. so the architects uh, really maximized the the natural light into these spaces and used um, skylights and so these uh, really sculptural uh, skylights really um, you know drew, drew your eye to the blue and then how we've used these Arflex units you know we've brought the blue in there it's just kind of almost uh, you know continuing that sculptural blue and you've got elements. lots of double height spaces yeah that's right but why the blue I mean was there you said, oh, they didn't particularly like the blue. No, no, not oh. that they didn't like the blue, but uh, they, they really enjoyed the blue once we had proposed it. So referencing those skylights and those blue forms was really where the blue came in. So it was... Um, Lucy, terraces are actually very difficult mm-hmm. houses to live in. I mean, they're very narrow, mm-hmm. generally low ceilings. This is Plesia Pings obviously has... Uh, capitalise on the um, the voids and yes. the ceiling heights. What do you think the main challenge is with terrace homes, particularly the smaller ones? Yeah, so that's what I think I really yeah. enjoyed about working on this project was it was challenging because uh, I think that small spaces can be fantastic to live in and furnishing them it just uh, it brought on an, an extra level of challenge. So this family actually had two children as well. Uh, the uh, uh, one of the clients actually worked from home. There wasn't actually room for a study, so uh, working with all these um, different elements to furnish was uh, critical to to the you know every millimeter really. Mm-hmm. So dining spaces that could be flexible, working with where we could store additional chairs. So you, you've got this wonderful pod that goes through the kitchen area through to the first floor. What does that pod contain? Uh, So that has some storage as well as uh, houses, a lot of the kitchen appliances. Mm -hmm. Um, And and what's the area above used as? uh, So that's used as storage from the library space. Right. 
Um, so with this project as well, there's an image there of um, just a single chair with a desk. Oh yes. So this was a this was this movable workspace. It's a desk designed by Vitra called Vest. At uh, Nest, sorry. Yeah. Nest, that's mm -hmm. a nest table. And so this is this uh, idea where the client actually just takes one of the dining chairs and if the kids are playing down in the living area, he'll just move his desk up into the bedroom and work from there. Mm -hmm. Or if uh, so the children are sleeping upstairs, he can move this desk all around the house. So, Lucy, what you're really saying is the home office is becoming superseded or outmoded really because with technology and the laptop or you know yeah absolutely you just you don't need this fixed space anymore absolutely so you know that's it's the possibilities where you can have a beautiful house that is maybe closer to the city not so much traveling to work then that allows you to spend more time with your family at home because you know there's all these these things I, I love the way that the clients thought about that and really embraced that as well that you know there was the option to you know you could go further out into suburbs and have a larger house or you could have a different quality of life living in a city. And that's a good point because I think that's what's happening, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not just in Melbourne but right through Australia. Yeah. The people are preferring to stay in a city and families are actually embracing smaller spaces. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's some other, actually going back to Milan, is a lot of design elements that I I, I love to see were uh, products that had multi-purpose. So... This could be used as a side table next to a sofa, or it could also be used as a desk to use while you're sitting at a sofa, or it's a movable desk that can also have height adjustment, yeah. tilting adjustment to use as an office space in okay. another room. Um, so I've also brought, uh, this is a multi-residential project that I've been working on. Called Queen's Domain. Yes, overlooking Albert Park Lake. Oh, how lovely! And it's a obviously. Um, who's the? Is there an architect involved? Yeah, DKO Architecture has designed the. Jesse Lenardi. Did um, you work with Jesse or? No, worked with um, Coos and Coos. Sorry, mm -hmm. and uh, this was a, a beautifully sculptural building. It was um, you know, referencing the fifties architecture of the area. And we worked uh, with them collaboratively on uh, the space planning and layouts of the apartments as well as the interior design of the kitchens and bathrooms. And uh, What are the issues? Because it must be very difficult designing apartments because, in a sense, everything's been done mm -hmm. that can be done mm -hmm. and yet you're expected as a designer to do something new. Yes. What are the things that... You, new things that you thought Nexus has actually brought to this project in these apartments? So uh, yeah, designs need to be new and this project is uh, uh, it's unique uh, because of its layout and uh, very um, Okay, so when we when we started looking at this project, we, we obviously started with looking at the exterior and what mm -hmm. the architect's intention was about uh, what they wanted to achieve and then really building on that. So the interior design was uh, to work best in with what they had done mm -hmm. um, and not just be a stick-on at the end. So I think that good design is... Bringing the... 
when something works right through from you know from its location to architecture interior design to the statutory signage uh, to the marketing collateral everything needs to work in as one um lucy they seem to be larger apartments is that correct uh look they they range in uh size mm-hmm. from apartments but you know the the, the tricks of using the minimal amount of materials and continuous floor materials. So we used a natural stone flooring through through the living rooms, right through to the bathrooms, and using that same stone finish on the walls in the bathrooms. It's using those, you know, minimal amount of materials that make these spaces feel larger. And we also developed a custom design basin for the project. Mm-hmm. And so this was also working with the idea of. Um, you know, how can we improve these bathroom spaces? We need to keep them simple um, and mm. classic. They don't mm. need to be over-designed, but how can we actually improve them to make them feel larger? So uh, this basin here, we've actually integrated the towel rail into the underside of the basin, mm-hmm. and also the toilet roll holder is integrated underneath the basin. So that means we've allowed to take two elements off the walls. So then it just mm. feels a little bit larger as well. It's also, Lucy, it becomes a lot more expensive designing product from scratch, or is it, in this case, it worked because there's so many apartments? Uh, you could do it. Yeah, and I, um, I guess, you know, when you take into consideration, okay, you know, I guess, you know, from the developer side mm. of things, you know, how much does a tower rail cost? How much does it cost someone to fix the tower rail on? Same with the toilet roll holder. So if everything is integrated into one, you reduce the need for trades on site as well. Um, so maybe if a basin's going to cost a little bit more, there's other things to take into consideration. So yeah. we work closely with the developers on that as well. Um, but we feel, you know, the, the material that the basin is actually made of, we've used a solid surface material. Uh, the basin references the lines of the architecture externally, but then we also use this solid surface material on our kitchen bench tops mm-hmm. and also on our splashbacks as well. So it's repeating the finishes used. You yeah, know, it's beautiful. The um, It must be challenging, though, because really there's so many apartments out there at the moment and a lot of them are looking quite similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it must be challenging as a designer to say, look, we have to do something new. Yeah, that's right. Because I think people are looking for something new. And design should always be new and unique. Mm. And when we first approached this project, it was really about using this solid surface material and also the, the natural stone and timber in the kitchen so it was a combination mm. of nature and technology mm. used together mm-hmm. um, we're also looking at things like keyless entry doors in these apartments mm. so you just have a mobile app and when you mm. approach your apartment door the door will open um, so I heard really- I mean it kind of concerned me a little bit I heard people were starting to get chips put into their body parts <laughs> so that they could just put a hand next to a door Are we getting close to that time I'm not sure I mean maybe I think an Apple iWatch might be a first step <laughs> but um Gosh, okay, yeah, no, I haven't heard about integrating technology into our bodies yet. Oh, okay. I hope not. Um, what do you enjoy most about the whole process of design? Is it just, is it the problem solving? Is it seeing something just being built? Is it just walking into a project at the end? Is it seeing something published in a magazine or a newspaper? What, what kind of 
I think that when I, what I really enjoy about design is w- working with people, understanding people, understanding living life, and then seeing people enjoy how they how they live. And um, what do you think, Lucy, that people interior designers get wrong? Get wrong? Yeah, because they, they there must be something that you, as a designer, you walk in and you always get frustrated because you or you occasionally get frustrated. You think wrong what's the thing that sorry to put you on the spot no but, no no but what's something that not. that you think designers get wrong i think that you know good design there always needs to be a good narrative and uh, and you know a lot of thought and consideration uh in the way that you know i feel like i i, I try and never lose sight of the client and the end user and um i, I mean i feel like as a designer i use a lot of my intuition with design as well. Um, and I, I don't like things just being done for the sake of things being done. Everything needs to have a reason. Um, you know, a lot of people can just des- describe um, some of our work as, you know, simple or basic, but it's always, you know, very practical and functional before it can be beautiful. Yeah. It needs to work well. It needs to... And a reason for it. Yeah, it needs to be a reason, absolutely. Um yeah. Well, look, um, Lucy, thanks so much for coming on the program today. No, thank you, Stephen. It's um, always a pleasure and, speaking with you. And you're a fine designer, but what I love most about you is you always return emails so quickly. <laughs> I think you're the most efficient person I've come across. It's so lovely putting on your computer in the morning and at six o'clock in the morning, there's an email from Lucy because that's almost unheard of in the industry. Oh, no. Well, it's good to have a chat with you at seven o'clock in the morning, Stephen. <laughs> so thanks so much for coming on. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Stephen.